Let's turn our Bibles to James chapter 3. We're looking at the first 12 verses this morning, and the title of my message this morning is Watching Your Words or Taming Your Tongue. We need to be careful in the words that we speak is really the title of my message this morning, and what we're going to see is the importance of taming our tongues. You know, our tongue is an interesting thing. I was, I was reading some things about our, our tongue this, uh, this week as I was studying about the tongue this week. Did you know that our tongue is only average about three inches long? Just a little bit more than two ounces our tongues are. Small little organ in our body. But did you know that our tongues have 3,000 different taste buds just on that little three-inch surface? It's amazing. It's amazing, too. Our tongues uh, have, we're going to see this morning, we're going to see our tongues are an important part of our lives, and the words that we speak are an important part part of our lives. Another little statistic about our tongue I read this week. Do you know that 85% of the people that are living today, it's the most flexible organ in your body, and 85% of the people in the world today that are living could twist their tongues and almost do a circle with their tongues. Hey, see if you're a part of that 85% right now, right? Try it. Some people, one of my youth pastors, he said, I can't do it. I said, well, you're part of the 15%. But we're going to see this morning the importance of our tongues and the words that we speak, and we've got to be careful with the words that we speak. It's been interesting. I've been teaching on Facebook Live during the week. I've been teaching on Proverbs, which is the Old Testament book on wisdom. And it's amazing to me, chapter after chapter after chapter, uh, the book of Proverbs, the book of wisdom by Solomon, talks about the importance of our words and our tongue also. Every chapter, it seems like I've been teaching lately on Proverbs, talks about the importance of our words. Now, James, which is the New Testament of the, uh, or the New Testament book of, of wisdom, it's every chapter. I noticed I did a study this week. Every chapter in James talks about your words also. I'll give you some examples. Uh, pro, uh, James chapter 1, verse 19, if you go back to uh, the beginning of our book of James, it says this, This you know, my beloved brethren, but everybody must be quick to hear, here it is, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. James one twenty six, same chapter, says, If anyone thinks himself to be religious, yet doesn't bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Now chapter 2 of James, so speak and so, here it is, so speak and act as those who are judged by the law of liberty. And then the whole first 12 verses of our section today, chapter 3, talks about the importance of taming our tongue. Chapter 4, verse 11, again, another chapter says, do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. And then the last chapter of James, James chapter 5, verse 12, says, but above all, brethren, don't swear. That's using our voice. Don't swear either by heaven or earth or with any other uh, oath, but your yes is to be yes and your no is to be no. That's actually a quote from his brother, uh, Jesus, so that you will not fall under judgment. See the importance of the tongue all throughout the book of James? Every chapter has a reference to our words and to our speaking. So let's, let's look at, oh, by the way, a wise man said throughout our lives, you're given many opportunities to keep your mouth shut. The wise person takes advantage of those opportunities. I like that. I get an amen on that one. Psalm 141.3, David, the man after God's own heart, said about our, our, our words, the importance of our words. He said, Psalm 141.3, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. And then he said in Psalm 19.14, King David said, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart 
Be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I like that. That's that's wise. Another statistic I read this week before we get into James chapter 3. Do you know the average person here in the United States has 30 different conversations a day? Do you know the average person in the United States of America not only has 30 conversations a day, spends one-fifth of their life talking? Interesting. Uh, not only do they spend one-fifth of their life talking, but we also know that, that, that there's other statistics that talk about that the, the average person here in the United States, if, if you counted their words and you put all their words together, they would fill in one year 66 800-page books with their words. Wow, that's a lot. Here's another statistic. The average, average man in the United States speaks 20,000 words a day. The average woman speaks 30,000 words a day. And ladies, you wonder when you, when you get home at nighttime and your husband's on the, on the recliner with the, with the remote control, doesn't want to talk to you. Well, he's spoken his 20,000 words. He's still got 10 grand to go. Uh, I, I, some of you ladies are saying, get on with it, John. All right, so we're going to see five things this morning about our t- why it's important to tame our tongues and watch our words. And we're going to see five things. And then I'm going to give you four tools at the end of this message that will help us watch our words and be more careful with the words we speak in taming our tongues. So let's jump right in. If you're there, say amen. Here we are, James chapter 3, verse 1. Not, let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that such will, sh- will incur a stricter judgment. First thing about taming our tongues... We need to watch and tame our tongues and watch our words, especially if we're teachers of God's word. Interesting statement there. James, who is a teacher of God's word, a writer of God's word, said not many should be teachers of God's word. Why? Because you're going to incur stricter judgment. And those that teach God's word, whether it's in, in, you know, uh, as a pastor or whether it's in children's ministry or whether it's in youth ministry, whether it's with our U-turn guys, if you teach God's word, you need to be careful with the words that you teach. The Bible makes it very clear. If you teach God's word, you need to be a workman who need not be ashamed, who rightly divides the word of truth. The Apostle Paul put it this way in teaching God's word. He said, I didn't shrink back from you to, to declaring the whole counsel of God to you. I didn't, I didn't give you this and that, but not the whole counsel of God. The teaching of God's word. If you're a teacher of God's word, you've got to be careful to make sure you teach accurately and you, and you study God's word to show yourself a proof that you're accurately handling the word of truth. Why? Because if you're a teacher of God's word and you don't teach correctly and you lead people astray, Jesus said it'd be better for you to have a millstone around your neck in the Sea of Galilee. There's judgment coming. You're going to incur stricter judgment if you teach God's word and you lead people astray through falsely teaching God's word. You know, I, I would hate to be one of these cult leaders that leads people away from true Christianity into false teaching and cults. You know why? Because they're going, to be, they're going to be responsible not only for their souls before God, but the souls of those that they lead astray and lead to hell. It's a serious thing to teach God's word. You need to make sure you study it to show yourself approved so you accurately handle the word of truth. I put a lot of time in every week to uh, teaching you all. I want to. I always will. I want to study hard because I'm going to give an account one day to God of whether I accurately handle God's word. And that's why I love Calvary Chapel. Because Calvary Chapel, we stick to the word of God. Calvary Chapel, we do verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And when I have to give an account one day for what I taught you all, I'm going to stand before a holy God and I'm going to do this. I'm going to show him the Bible and I'm going to say, 
there's the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help me God. I just taught, taught your people verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and try to give them the unadulterated word of God. And as long as this bald preacher's up here, that's all you're going to get here. The unadulterated truth of God's word, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, because we've got to be careful with the words that are spoken as God's word is being taught. And that's what James is saying, first principle on taming your tongue. If you're teaching God's word, careful, watch your words, accurately handle God's truth when you're conveying it to other people. Now James goes on, and he says in verse 2, For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone doesn't stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle the whole uh, body as well. I like James. I mean, here's the guy that's the brother of Jesus. Here's the guy that was the senior pastor of the, the, the Jerusalem church. Here's the guy that had the nickname Camel Knees because his knees were so, cam, uh, or so callous because of all the praying the guy did. And what does he start out in Taming, Taming the Tongue saying? He goes, hey, we all stumble in many ways. You see the vulnerability and honesty there? Isn't that true? If you're a human being, we all stumble in many ways. But he also says the perfect man, now the word perfect there is teleos in the Greek. It means the mature and complete man. It doesn't mean you'll never make mistakes. It means you're growing in maturity and completeness when you're learning to be careful with your words. The mature man is the man that is going to tame his tongue and be careful with his words. And that's the second principle on taming your tongue is we need to watch and tame our words because our words are a sign of our spiritual maturity. And what we say and what comes out of our mouth is a sign whether we're abiding in Christ or not. Jesus puts it this way. He says in this, Luke 6.45, the good man out of the treasure of his heart brings forth what is good. The evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. And then he said to the, uh, the Pharisees and the uh, religious leaders that were opposing him, you brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. And then Matthew twelve thirty five: the good man brings out of his good pleasure what is good. The evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they'll give an account for the day of judgment. For by your words, you'll be justified by your words. You'll be condemned. That's pretty, pretty strong, strong words there by Jesus. And we got to take it to heart. we got to put a guard, as David said, over our mouths because our words are a reflection of our heart and what's going on inside of us with spiritual maturity. I was a young pastor, San Diego, first church, and started taking up some golf. So I like golf. I like to be outside like this, and God's... God's nature, and I was just starting. I just didn't have a clue what I was doing. So uh, the church that I was sent from, a church up in Los Angeles, large Baptist church that I came out of in, in Los Angeles to help start the church in San Diego, uh, they sent some, some of their guys down, and, and they were going to take Pastor John golfing because they just started golfing. And so uh, they came down. We went golfing and everything else. And it was a, great guys and everything else, but one of the guys was a, was a deacon, a new deacon at the church up there in Los Angeles, and it really, it kind of stumbled me a little bit as a young pastor. These are leaders from the church I was sent from. And we got to hole number two, and he missed his putt. And words came out of this deacon's mouth. And I'm going, "Woo!" And as a young pastor, as an older pastor now, I would have said, what are you doing talking like that and being a deacon? But four-letter words coming out of his mouth because he missed a stinking putt. And the first impression I had as a young pastor is, they chose the wrong guy up there to be a deacon 
because the spiritual maturity wasn't there to the point that he got frustrated about something. Four-letter words are flying out of his mouth. Careful. Our words are a reflection of our heart, and they're a sign of our spiritual maturity, and that's what James says. If you don't stumble with your tongue, it's a sign that you're a perfect man. The word perfect, again, means mature and complete. It's a sign of spiritual maturity, our words. And then it goes on, verse 3. Now, if we put the bits into the horse's mouths so that they may obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Behold, the ships also, though they're so great and driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder. Wherever the inclination of the pilot desires, so also the tongue. It's a small part of the body, yet it boasts of great things. Interesting. Uh, two analogies there. Bits and rudders. Bits for horses. Little, little tiny piece of steel. Put it in a horse's mouth. Horse that weighs hundreds and hundreds of pounds could be directed by just a little bit in the mouth to go left, go right, go left, go right. By the way, you're all going to be horseback riders when Jesus comes back with us. Do you know that? It says in Revelation chapter, chapter 20, when we return, we're returning with Christ to set up his kingdom here on earth on horses, white horses. It's going to be awesome. Say, well, I don't know how to ride a horse. Well, you have seven years of great tribulation after the rapture to learn, okay? And so bits and horses, what does that mean? It directs the horse. Even though it's a little small thing, it directs the horse. And then it says also rudders, a rudder and a ship. I was reading about the Queen Mary's ship. You know, it weighs... 83,000 tons, and, and it's, it covers three acres, just the ship does, but two-tenths of one percent of the ship is the weight of just the rudder, but that rudder through high seas and even storms can direct that 83,000-ton ship. So what's James' point about rudders and bits? Well, your tongue. Your tongue could set the direction and the course for not only your life, but the lives of others, other people. Do you know what I'm talking about? The words that you speak in other people's lives or that are spoken in your life can set a direction. And if you know what I'm talking about, you know that coaches or parents or um, teachers in your life, by some of the words they've sown into your lives, they've set a direction, a course for your life, for good or for bad. So we need to be careful with our tongues because it sets the course and the direction. Uh, for our lives oftentimes. Dale Carnegie wrote a book called How to Win Friends and Influence People. It's more of a secular book. It was a self-help kind of book, but he's got some good principles in there. One of his principles is the words of our mouth can either bring affirmation or hurt to people, and the most successful people out there are the people that learn to use their mouths and their words to bring affirmation and blessing into other people's lives because our words direct people and set the course for other people's lives. We we're told in Proverbs 18.21, it says, talking about our words again, it says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. And so the third reason why we should watch our words and tame our tongues, it sets the course and direction for our lives, for ourselves and others. And then he goes on, and he, he amplifies this, and he says in verse 6, and the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on course uh, the fire of the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. For every species of beasts and birds, reptiles, creatures of the sea are tamed and have been tamed by the human race, but no one can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil, full of deadly poison. Now, next analogy, the illustration he uses, our tongues are, have the power of fire. And they could bring, just like fire could bring a destructive thing to, to the things that it inflames, so our tongues can bring destruction to those that we inflame with another analogy, poison. 
Our, our tongues can bring poison in people's lives. I was thinking of two cities when I was thinking of the power of fire. I was thinking of Los Angeles. I used to live in L.A. I lived out in Southern California for 10 years, and it was amazing to me when I was out there how just a little spark and little fire could cause thousands of acres of damage of brush fire. And, and you know, I, I haven't read this week that in San Bernardino County where they've had a lot of these brush fires and have damaged literally tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars of homes, if you go to San Bernardino and you smoke a cigarette up in the mountains where the brush fires are at, you could get a $500 fine because it's caused such damage. Just one, they've, they've done the research and they've found that just one little cigarette butt has caused thousands of acres to be burned to the ground. Another city I was thinking of with a destructive nature of, of, of uh, fire is uh, Chicago, where I'm from. I grew up in Chicago. That's my city. Go, Michael Jordan. I love Chicago. Um, I'm not going to say anything about Al Capone. I'll just say Michael Jordan, okay? And, and uh, I love Chicago. But Chicago, I don't know if you know the history about Chicago, but in the 1800s, when D.L. Moody was the pastor there at Moody Church, um, uh, they, they had a fire, and that fire was called the Great Chicago Fire. I don't know if you knew about this, but it actually burned the city to the ground. Literally, whole city blocks, all the buildings and houses burnt to the ground because of the destructive nature of the fire, of the Chicago Fire. Literally, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people died in that fire. People lost their homes. There was 100,000 people after that fire in the city of Chicago that were homeless because of that fire. You know how that little fire got started, or that big fire got started? It was, according to legend, it was Mrs. O'Leary's cow kicked over one lantern, and that one lantern burned the city to the ground. Here's the point that James is trying to make. Our words and our tongue, just a little two-ounce piece of flesh, could be very destructive if we're not careful to guard our tongues from speaking poisonous words in other people's lives. Again, there's the power of life and death in our words. Let's bring life. There's power of blessing and cursing in our words. Let's bring blessing to people with our words. There's a power of insulting people or affirming people. Let's affirm people with our words. There's the power of, of encouraging and building up and strengthening people with our words. Or there's the power of tearing down and hurting and, and de- devastating people with words. Let's be those people as Christians that are watching our words and using our words to build up and affirm and encourage and bring blessing and healing into people's lives. Amen? Amen. Amen. You know, I, I tell you what, my dad had his issues. My dad had... Uh, Struggle with alcohol for 35 years. Struggle with alcohol. And I, you know, it was, it was tough. But you know, my dad was still a great dad in many ways, even though he had that addiction with alcohol. He was a dad that encouraged me. He was a dad that was always careful with his words towards me as a son. He was. It was amazing. Now, he, he, he stumbled sometimes, and sometimes he'd say things and that would hurt me, but I'd say 90% plus of the words that my dad sold into my life were words of encouragement. You don't know how many times as a young man growing up, my dad would speak into my life and say, John, I saw you do this, and he'd see you, something positive I would do, and he he would say, John, I'm proud of you. Keep doing that. 
I remember to this day being a, a, a junior high kid, and my dad delegated to me the painting of one of his commercial buildings. He was in real estate development. He owned several commercial real estate properties, and he had me paint all the – I remember today it was a dark brown trim on his uh, uh, brick commercial building, and he had me, me paint that the trim around the windows. And I remember one day I worked like 10 hours. I think I was about to call the child labor laws or something. I worked like 10 hours. I was up on a ladder painting brown trim on his windows on this brick building. And I remember he met me at the bottom of the ladder as I was coming down after the last, last window was done. And my dad said, you know what, Chip? My nickname's Chip. He goes, Chip, there's not many 12-year-olds who would be able to put in a 10-hour day like that and do such a good job. And he said, Chip, I'm proud of you. You know what I want to do at the bottom of the ladder? I wanted to go back up and work another 10 hours. And and I'll I'll never forget that. I was 12 years old, and it was like yesterday because he affirmed my work ethic there. And my dad constantly, as I was growing up as a kid, put words of blessing, and I'm proud of you. Keep going. And you know what those words did for me? Gave me strength. Gave me confidence. Some of you are saying, maybe a little bit too much confidence sometimes, John. My wife would say that. (laughs) But at the same time, it gave me, gave me strength and confidence just through his words. And you know what I'm trying to do now is, is a dad with four kids that are all grown up and they're out of my house. They have the audacity to leave Lexington and go to other cities. But they're all within a couple hours of driving distance. Praise the Lord for that. But still to this day, I'm trying to learn what my dad did in my life and with my kids. I want to affirm them with my words. I don't want to tear them down. I want to bless them with my words, not curse them. I want to tell them that I'm proud of them, too, and I do that on a regular basis. One of the things we do with the Hoppy kids, Heidi and I both, as soon as we're done with our conversation with our kids on the telephone or wherever we talk to them, if they're somewhere else, the last thing we say, we love you. We love you. We love you, John G. We love you, David. We love you, Daniel. We love you, Jennifer. We love you guys because we want to affirm our kids with our words. Hey, let's all do that, amen? Let's all, let's all so, so strength. If you're a parent, let's sow strength into our kids' lives, not weakness. Let's, let's sow blessing into their life, not cursing. Let's sow encouragement in their life and not discouragement. That's the power of our tongues. The last thing, let's close it up now, what James has to say about this. It says, with it we bless, actually, yeah, with, with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God from the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives or vine produce figs? Neither can salt water produce fresh. Here's the last thing James says about our tongue. It says, it says if we don't tame our tongue and we're not careful with taming our tongues and watching our words, here's what he's saying. We could be double-minded and listen, we could even be hypocritical. We could be here on Sunday morning, oh, bless God, praise the Lord. We're giving him all the worship and the glory, and then we go home and we trash our spouse or our kid or somebody at work. We bless God on Sunday morning, as he says, but then on on Monday morning we're cursing somebody. And James very simply says, brothers, it ought not to be this way. Why? Because the mouth that blesses God should also be the mouth that blesses his creations that are created in his image. And Jesus put it this way. He said, whatever you do to the least of them, you're doing to me. And so when we're cursing men, 
In a sense, we're cursing Jesus because they're created in Jesus' image. And Jesus said, if you do it to them, you're doing it to me. Careful with our words. Let's not be hypocrites. Let's not be people that, oh, praise God. Hey, and I know, as James says, we all, we all stumble in this in many ways, right? We've all had the instance of on a Saturday night or a Sunday morning before church, maybe even on the way to church, man, you're getting into it. You're, you're just, with your words, with your spouse or your kids, and then you get out of the car door in the parking lot, oh, praise the Lord. Oh, I got an amen on that one. Got an amen on that one. And we all stumble in many ways. And let's not lay a trip on each other about this because we're all going to stumble and continue to stumble in this. But let's, let's try. Let's seek first God's kingdom in this area and using our mouths to be a blessing instead of a cursing. And I'll give you four ways that we could, we could rev up on this, four ways that we could be careful in this. And we'll close with this this morning. First way we could be cl- careful with this is with gossip. The Bible's very clear all throughout the Old and New Testament, we shouldn't use our tongues to slander people. Because the word gossip actually means in the Greek, it, the, the Greek word is diablos. Guess what English word we get from that? Devil. You're no more like the devil than any time than when you're gossiping and slandering people. Uh, people with your words, especially brothers and sisters in Christ. If you're going to have something to say about somebody, hey, say something good. And if you don't have something to say good about somebody, go to them if you need to in private. But don't tell anybody else about their dirt. Because the Bible says love covers a multitude of sin. It doesn't say love spreads a multitude of sin with your words. Reminds me of a a men's accountability group I heard about the other day. I don't know if it's true or not. I just heard the story. So these three men were meeting for accountability to kind of hold each other accountable and stuff. And after several weeks, they finally got comfortable with sharing the things they needed accountability for and to be, be prayed for. And so one man started and said, hey, guys, you need to pray for me because I'm drinking again. And as a Christian, I'm getting into alcohol and I'm, I'm abusing it. You guys need to pray for me. Group said, three guys, okay, yeah, we'll pray. We'll hold you accountable too. We'll hold you accountable to stop drinking. And so next guy, next guy says, oh, you guys need to pray for me because cause, cause I've, I've been pulled into pornography again. And I'm looking at things on the Internet I shouldn't see anymore. And I confess that to you guys and hold me accountable and pray for me. And then it was the third guy's turn. I said, you guys need to pray for me because my main sin is uh, gossip. And I just can't wait to get out of here. <laughs> All right, so... <laughs> First area we need to be careful in is gossip. Second area we need to be careful in is insults. It says in Peter, in the book of Peter, it says this. uh, To sum up all, it says, Be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead, for you are called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. Second area we need to be careful in don't be using your mouth to insult people. Sometimes we get in this competition. Someone insults us. We're, we're going to compete with them to see how bad we can insult them back. Don't go there. Jesus said what? Turn the other cheek. Jesus said through his word in Romans chapter 12, overcome evil with good. And if someone curses you and insults you, return a blessing. You know, you're on the road and someone just gives you that uh, that. I'm not even going to go there. But anyways, they they give you that that hand gesture because they feel like you cut them off or something. Open your window and say, God bless you. Bless you today. God bless you. That's what Peter's saying. Return blessings with cursings. Don't get in a competition with insulting others. Back and forth, back and forth with insults. Return the other cheek and return blessings. For cursing. Here's the third thing we need to be careful with, and another area that we need to watch profanity. 
profanity. I've been seeing more and more there's a, there's a, a, there's a thing in the church where it's okay to swear. Ephesians 4.29 says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. The Bible says very clearly we're not supposed to be having filthy things coming out of our mouths because it's a sign you've got a filthy heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So profanity shouldn't be a part of the vocabulary of, of someone who's walking close with Jesus because it's a reflection of your heart. And Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You know, we need to, we need to, we need to be careful of this because I, I, I see, again, in the church just a, a liberality on this. There's a, there's a sense that it's okay to use words we shouldn't be using. I think a part of that is our, our media around us has desensitized us to using words that shouldn't be used. You know, when I was a kid growing up, Andy Griffith's show, uh, Leave It to Beaver, I'm dating myself here, really, Leave It to Beaver, yeah, Father Knows Best, all these shows, they were censored, they couldn't use profanity. Now today, you turn on the regular TV, and you know, MTV, all these other stations, they're using profanity, and they're not censored at all, so we get desensitized to it, because just because we're desensitized, we shouldn't be giving into the culture, because the Bible says, don't be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove the will of God, That's which is good and acceptable and perfect. And you know, the sad thing to me is there's even some preachers out there that are using swear words in the pulpit. I want to just go up and grab their pulpit and tell them to go home because that's wrong. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. The Bible says the word unwholesome there is putrid, filthy, dirty, and corrupt. Be careful with that. Last area that we could really uh, be careful in is complaining. The Bible is very clear on this also. Complaining is sin. It says Philippians 2, 14 and 15, do all things without complaining or grumbling so that you'll prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. Complaining is sin. That's one of those tolerated sins in the church too. Oh, bless the Lord. And then you go on a whole rant about all the things that are wrong. No, don't use your mouth to complain. Actually, in the Old Testament, God brought judgment to the people of God, Israel, because of all their complaining in the wilderness for 40 years. Instead of complaining, you know how we could thwart complaining? You know how we could stop complaining? You know how we could do that? Yep. First, yeah, there's two ways. First way is be a person of thanksgiving. In everything, the Bible says, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Instead of complaining, think about all the blessings and thank God for all the blessings. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights with whom there's no sh- uh, variation or shifting shadow. We need to be people of thanksgiving. And instead of complaining, let's give thanks. Another way we could do this too, thwart our complaining spirit, is be people of praise. People that say, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. People that love to worship Jesus. Because it's hard to worship Jesus and be complaining all the time. So let's be people of praise.